Believe it or not, it's a town called Flin Flon, exactly in the middle of Canada. Flin Flon is built on solid rock, and one of the first things we noticed were the boxed-in sewer pipes. Of ground, we'd never seen anything like it before. Hey, podcast enthusiasts, and a special shout-out to Keith Reed, Harry Hobbs, and my mom. It's uh, Raphael Saray, and hey, look at this. Who is sitting next to me? Actually, she's she's on my lap, and nothing but a, but a negligee. It's the great Susan Glenn. Oh, <laughs> Gee, maybe you weren't supposed to tell them that. It's theater of the mind, theater Susan. Of the mind. We we, we want to get clicks. We want to get clicks. We want to get well, lots of people listening to this thing. Now you put everybody's mind in my negligee. Hmm? Now you've put everybody's mind in my negligee. Hey, if you want to come by the mainframe, Main Street <laughs> oh, she does she does work for tips. <laughs> just just uh, when you uh, book her, just say, and can she wear the item she wore on the podcast intro? Mm-hmm. Sure, sure. They'll be they'll be lining up. Kind of sounds like you're sending me out to hustle here. Mm-hmm. We like got a wedding to pay for, yeah. baby. <laughs> that's true. That's true. That that's the mainframe, main street. <laughs> Want to give a phone number while you're at? Six eight seven sixty eight hundred. How about you do subtle. it quicker that Subtle, subtle. So this is the podcast thing. We're getting this uh, oral history of of the Flin Flon cultural moju and Moju and and. Bo Jest. So uh, I do a lot of sort of the little research stuff and I, I, I scroll down questions and then Susan's very good with On The Fly because you, because we interview people here, you because uh, you're a hairdresser to the stars, you have to interview like 6 to 15 people a day. Yes, and to the back of their head. And it's very fascinating to have all these long conversations or sometimes short conversations Depending on how long you're working on somebody for, and it's it is it is like an interview all day, and you have all these lovely people that come see you, and you ask them what they've been up to, and and how they're doing, or they tell you little stories about their life, and it feels very very much sometimes being a hairdresser like you have a little show, a little chat show. We should have that as like uh, not tell people and just like hide recordings Ooh. and then release it like. Uh, but the, but but people are really it'd have to be so anonymous because people are so honest with their hairdresser. You know they'll tell. It you really is. You are like a, a doctor and a bartender all rolled into one. I know how to keep secrets because goodness me. And I've I've seen what's in your special cabinet. You are a doctor and a bartender yeah. all rolled into one. <laughs> So we've got uh, this one. This is the uh, the big one. This one kind of put us on the map. This is uh, the Brent Lethbridge mm. podcast, part one. It was so sprawling and epic. Part two, part two. and this is him coming back to town, uh, performing at his high school reunion, uh, performing with the community choir, a gospel group, the birth of Johnny's social club, all the homecomings coming in. And uh, Lefty is sort of the... Him and, and Mark and Crystal, kind of the signposts, the pillars. The nucleus. The nucleus. The nucleus, bringing things together. Are we uh, like the electrons then? Sure, the atoms. We're all bouncing around trying to... What do, what do electrons do? They try to become stable. Ne- or are they negatively or charged they ions? Unstable, stable? Are, mm-hmm. we, are we stable or are we unstable? That's a whole other well, episode. I am, I'm, I, I've, I've never seen us tend a horse at all. No, not no, at not all. in our stable or, or an unstable. <laughs> an unstable. An unstable that would be a non hipster sports bar. This could be, hey, it's free, people. It's free. free. I'm sorry, it's not the point. So yeah, so uh, Brett's gonna come on in here. Oh, he's at the door. Oh, he's going and coming into the back way because he's all he fancy. Right. Look at you, Brent. So uh, Brett's gonna come in. Yeah, just 
it's a latch there. We'll jiggle and handle. Brent's going to come in and talk a little bit about more of the modern history of uh, Flim Flam music and the Flim Flam art scene. And he uh, has interesting stories and he knows no short sentences. So this should be uh, a good one. Get yourself uh, a regular beverage, an adult beverage, fire up the tea, uh, fire, as, as the great Tom Snyder says, yes. fire, fire up the color teenies and listen to the sounds as they fly through the air here on the Sewer Box Office Podcast. Hi, this is Brian Lethbridge, and I'm extremely excited about our action-packed standard issues airing every Tuesday morning at 9.05 a.m. on CFAR. This riveting infomercial will rock your world with scintillating tidbits on auto, commercial, residential, travel, and health insurance. Plus, we got the DL on MPI and SGI. It may kickstart your morning like a double take up a chino. Get up, turn on, and tune in Tuesday mornings at 9.05 a.m. The standard issues. Start us off, Brent. Like this is your life here. Uh, in, in the, in, I don't know if this was in the middle of this, but where my my late father, the great uh, Sandor Saray, had a Hungarian club where him and his buddies would do various Hungarian, perhaps criminal things. <laughs> it was on a building on Selkirk Avenue. It was a famed restaurant. Yes, the, the White House. Yes, yes. Well, my brother-in-law purchased the White House from. Uh, the, their names were the Bells. Uh, I, I I can't and and. Yeah, I can't remember for sure. I think her name was Annette Bell. Don't remember his name because he died in a terrible drowning accident. But my brother-in-law bought the restaurant, and uh, I got uh, I got hired to be a waiter, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera, I have there. assistant manager, is what you've told me. Well, <laughs> what happened was then for those in Winnipeg who know they opened up a branch on Grant on Grant and just a takeout, and I was sent over there to uh, manage so in between everything that i told you that was that was part of it as well major d at the white house <laughs> yeah at the white house <laughs> yeah that was the rib joint in, was in the right. yeah and yeah. selkirk and now in yeah. those days susan lived in the neighborhood on college oh wow i'm talking probably 1976 1977 well, were you a boyd or church 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 yeah, yeah. but the, back church. then you could walk she could walk from Selkirk to college, no problem. Oh, yeah. But I, I don't know if she would do that now. Yeah. Because no. now now that building is the St. Istvan Magyarhaz, the Hungarian social club, where Yoli and Oli and uh, uh, literally a man named Attila fixes electronics for very cheap. He'll, <laughs> he'll, he'll, build, he'll build you a homemade Game Boy. <laughs> well, hey, everyone's got to do something. But that was That's a great right. experience. I, I met a lot of people there, too. It was uh, quite the quite the place. So then you came, you guys came back, and in '84. And what was the the plan then? Was it was it no did, plan? What, did was there a music scene back here? Did you guys kind of revive it? Or? No, no. In fact, we didn't do we, the only music we did for the next ten years is we sang in our uh, church choir, so to speak, because we cha- we like totally kids, we were raising right. children. That's it's exactly very right. Very encompassing. It is very and our uh, just our whole focus shift from a lifestyle that was like that what it was, and into just focused on family like 
focus on the family. Like, what's his name there? James uh, Dobson. Yeah, a little focus on the family going on. Yeah. So, uh, so for 10 years, that's, that's what we did is just basically church stuff. But really, in, in so many ways, that church experience of singing gospel songs, we sang a lot with our sisters. And uh, you developed a, a great ear for singing harmonies, and uh, it was just a just a time and a place and a thing that we did. And then after ten years, I remember in about nineteen ninety four, Greg East. Uh, everyone knows Shout Greg East. Big, big fan, big fan. Well, he decides that it's time that we have a half knot reunion. Oh wow! And I think it was nineteen ninety four. And uh, so I go to the meeting because I think this is a pretty cool idea. And, and he says, I, I'd like you to get your uh, old band together. Get the band back together. Yeah, it was just like that. And this has been, you know, 25 years or so, right, since we played. Let's get, do you think? And, and so we did that. We got the original lineup together. And uh, we played at the, the event that they had at the, um, at the Whitney Forum. And that got us going again. And then we just started to think along the lines of performing those. So the thing that you did back in those days was you just put together a dance band. So Susan and myself, and I think uh, Dave Gunn was in the first uh, lineup, and Paul Bergman, and probably Tommy Gibney, who we played together with in our high school band. And it just started to morph. You know, we got not too bad, and then... Um, in about 97 or something, Jennifer came up, who had been in the city, Susan's younger sister, singing and singing up a storm and really had great chops. When she came home, we got to the point where she was saying, well, when I'm up here, we can do some gigs, right? So we started doing a thing with Susan and her sisters, um, Jennifer when she was up, and then Cindy and Joni. And then when Jennifer went back to town, we just kept that, that lineup together with the, the three sisters and myself. And this is when Mark Colt hooked up with us about 1995. It's in my notes here. I have yeah. there, there's BC, there's before Crystal, yeah, and there's after Crystal. Absolutely. So yeah. I'm, we're, we'll we'll try to get Mark for like a six part like Ken Burns style <laughs> in depth, yeah. in depth thing. Yes. From what I know is when they came up here, within like a month, he was in like four bands. What happened? <laughs> like before, as he was unho yes. unhooking the U-Haul, basically. Well, it didn't quite go that quick, but my, my brother-in-law, Billy Hansen, was on city council, and he kept feeding me information. He, he would say, hey, Brent, I think we're going to hire a city solicitor, and uh, one of the applicants apparently is a bit of a piano player. A bit? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Says, Aren't we all? <laughs> yeah, doesn't everyone play piano? I mean, we were looking for piano players up here, but uh, everyone was a reader, and we were ear people, right? They would have to read notes. We were just... And, and we just, you just, at those days, that, that wasn't going to mesh too well. But I, then I get another call from my brother-in-law, Billy. He says, hey, we hired that lawyer who plays piano. I said, give me his number. So he gives me Mark Colt's number. I phone him up right away. Hey, Mark. And the way we go, I say, hey, Mark. Brent, Mark, how are you? <laughs> so we're gonna, we say, well, let's go for lunch, me and Susan and you. I enjoy lunch. It's a great <laughs> meal in between <laughs> breakfast and dinner. So we went to, uh, we went to the... I think it was uh, the lunch at the <laughs> Flim Flon Hotel. And we sat there, and we were because we don't know his skill level. Exactly. We're just what hoping. That's can, what I'm asking here. Yes. Can you play by ear? <laughs> oh, yeah. He says, well, can you comp, a, you know, like a different feels for different. Yeah, I think I could do that. 
So, yeah, I mean, he wanted to go out, get up right out of the lunch and go start rehearsing, right? I'm surprised well, he didn't have a canjo with him like, <laughs> at the meeting, clinking away. Well, he had just moved up. I think they had like an empty apartment. the U Haul. They had <laughs> like an packed. empty apartment with a, a couch where his sleeping crystal wasn't up at that point. So, but by the time uh, we had a piano that he could borrow from us, so we started getting together and we realized right away that, oh, you know, oh, Mark, Mark's definitely a player. Yeah figured it out pretty quick and we were joyful about it to tell you the truth because when you have a piano player it just opens up so much more material you can do versus just a guitar one guitar or two guitars it, it's, it's a little more flexible in the material you can do but we were thrilled and so we just started playing around for this and that and then got involved with the musical theater business we did the uh, Joseph's Technicolor Dreamcoat yeah, yeah. So we were in the pit band, uh, myself, Mark, Paul, and uh, Greg Crocus. And uh, we just formed a, a, a long-lasting musical relationship for our, since, like, 95. So so is this is this the Iceman? What is the uh, name of this, this band here? Oh, now, I think we called ourselves something like uh, the Parkway Rhythm Section to, to begin with. <laughs> Another winner name. Well, three of us were from Parkway. Tom Gibney and Paul Bergman and myself, we all lived in Parkway. We could throw stones at each other's houses that was that close. So, But, you know, Paul had spent a lot of time in the city himself. So Paul was an accomplished player. And he was at the top of the game down at Winnipeg. He's a well-known, respected bass player who, who got some great work with some great people. And Tom was just a very solid drummer. We knew that. So we had Tom, Paul, me and Dave Gunn and Susan for a while, and then things morphed around a bit, and Dave started his own thing, and, and came Mark, and we went with that, and then the girls came in, we just called ourselves the Hanson Sisters Dance Band, and ran that for, till about really pretty heavy, till 2008, so from about 97 to 2008, we did that. Was the musicals, how, how, do, how was that a different process? Because that's more rehearsal, that's more maybe technical than... Than just a jam band. Well, you're reading charts, and you're not playing by well, ear yes. anymore. Um, not that I'm a great chart reader, but I I really appreciate playing in, in pit bands. It just brings it's it's the, the esprit de corps in the pit bands. Good. You spend a lot of time together, and yet when you get to rehearse that much, you you know the material. You get you get kind of tight, you know. So. I enjoy that part of it. And what, Bombertown and yeah, we did. Yeah, we did Bombertown. And we did this other one called uh, Memories before we did uh, Bombertown, which was like a reflection of the old Glee Club and then uh, some new material with the new people we had. We had lots of teachers. We had lots of good singers. And uh, Mark worked very hard. Mark and Crystal worked so hard on that, putting that together, because Mark had to chart every, you know... As he's probably doing right now. <laughs> he's probably charting tunes right now, yeah. That's, that's what he does. But I love the pit band. And, and, and every one of them I've, I've done with Mark. And uh, he's, you know, in that way, Mark is a great musical director. And I think he really brings out the best in people. Did you write stuff in this? Or throughout, like, when you talked about writing your own stuff, did you write it? Or, like, are you a lyrics guy? Or are no. you, like, your own original stuff? I have written zero songs. And I have recorded only once on uh, someone's CD, CC's. And it did very well, that song, Raven. Um, oh, yes. So I did a guitar bit in that. We were very proud of that. But that's the only experience I ever had at, at anything at recording. So when I got here, 
uh, I stayed at the Royal until a Greggy's department opened up. Yeah. And uh, on my TV, seemingly every 25 minutes, like Russian propaganda, was the fabulous bomber show mm. with you and the late, great Clarence oh, yeah. Peterson. Yeah. How did you get into being a big-time local <laughs> television <laughs> sensation? Oh, uh, <laughs> As I think my notes here, uh, it was like North Korea. You were the fearless leader. Oh, was there? What was the idea behind it? Were there any ideas behind no. it? No. <laughs> what happened is they, there was a kid uh, yeah, whose name escapes me right now. was hired by Shaw Cable to come up here because CRTC rules. You have to have a mandate local programming. And uh, Brett Hopper, that was his name, Brett Hopper, great guy. And he came up and he, he came to me and he said, you know, I don't know why me, but he came and said, you know, I want to do a hockey show for the, for the, for the Bombers. And I said, you know what, that's a great idea. And he said, I'll do the camera work, blah, blah, blah. And uh, we can tart it up and look, make it look nice and presentable. And we run it on sh Shaw Cable. And I said, okay. So we get to the rink and I'm thinking, well, Clarence is the perfect co-host because we're always sitting behind the Bomber bench there. So <laughs> we... We just said, okay, Clarence, um, we really don't know anything about hockey. We really don't. So let's not come in from that angle. Let's just have fun. So let's don't rehearse. Let's have zero script. Let's just go out there and do it and just let it flow. And, and you know, we just had such a, a good time. But that really got some traction with, with some hockey people because I know that Mike used it as a recruiting tool to get kids to come. We got this bomber show, and uh, people started to pick up on it. And it got to the point where I go out and play old timers hockey, like in Melford or someplace. Well, they'd seen the show on Shaw somehow. So I may mean, walk into a bar in Melford and say, Hey, I know you, Swan River. Hey, it was like, Holy, well, who all? Who all sees this, you know? And when Clarence was campaigning up in like South Indian Lake and places like this, he'd go up to a door and they'd say, Hey, you're that guy from the bomber show. But we just had the best time. And 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 hats off to Mike. He just went with it, right? <coughs> and the kids loved it because we're not talking X's and O's, right? Or this breakout play or anything like that. Just tried to stay totally away from the the cliches, right? And just have some fun with the kids. And it worked out really great. I was very happy with it. And that was, that was like three years maybe? No, or? Yeah, I think we did three or, three or four years. And it ended when Clarence got elected uh, as the MLA. And then I, it was just, I, you know, I just sort of lost the, the heart for it without Clarence. I didn't, didn't want to do it. <coughs> I did it once with Mary, I think. We did it. But she kept flirting with the hockey players. Nah. So that wasn't good. <laughs> but I told her to flirt with the hockey players. I said... Yeah, but that, that was the kind of crazy stuff we do, right? Say, well, Mary, can you flirt with this kid? Like, really flirt with him, you know, and see what he reacts like. And so we had fun with that, yeah. So now in the, I guess, the, the past few years, Johnny's Social Club is a, a speakeasy. It's, it's Flin Flon's CBGB's and Viper Room all rolled into yeah. one. Yeah. How... Uh, how did this turn whiskey into... Whiskey a go-go. Yes, whiskey a go-go, Club 54, the bitter end. Yeah. Um, how did Tavern. this turn? Because, yeah. of course, Susan, that's where she would uh, do a lot of shoplifting as a youth. <laughs> as, <laughs> as Johnny's confectionery. We all did. How, uh, were you a part of it turning into a, an actual sort of nightclub or venue? Yeah, yeah. What was going on there is they had a, they had a, coffee, sh a coffee club. 
and people would go in there and drink a cup of coffee and, and hang around a bit. And uh, they had some traction with that, but <clears throat> for the size of the space and the money uh, that they could generate out of the coffee club, wasn't wasn't making making economical sense. We had done a few gigs, like really low key type gigs, over at uh, on the Norvis side, right? And um, that didn't get much traction, but we could see, oh man, maybe there's something here can work, you know. So at one point, Greg says to um, Susan, um, he says, you know, we got to find something different to put in Johnny's, or I'm just going to have to go find a regular tenant, rent it out, and kind of this, that would be a shame because I think there's something else we can do with it, and maybe a live music venue is one of the possibilities. And, and Susan you know, credit to Susan, she she saw the possibility and then she sort of spread it between Mark and I. We were sort of brought into, very early into the process, look, here's maybe an opportunity. So one of the first things we ever did there, and I la I saw the possibilities, to tell you the truth. I love the shape of the room and everything like that. And I saw, okay, I think we can do something here. We did the CC's first CD release, Tiny Army there. I was there? Yeah, and uh, many fire codes broken. <laughs> we broke every fire code. I think we sold like 135 tickets for for the for the show. I think we only did one show in that one, and and when we saw, ooh, this is kind of nifty, you know. The the vibe was really great, and it was a nice sounding room. Was one of the things I remember that sounds nice in here, and uh, Mark Rowe got on board very quick. And because uh, he's partners in the building with Greg, and before you could say anything, you know, uh, there was an existing sound system. Th then there was a stage, and then the next thing you know, there are some lights, and then the next thing you know, we're doing more shows, and it, it becomes more and more uh, predictable and uh, organized, you know. And uh, pe other people started doing shows in there, and so once we got the PA, the lights in there, and that small stage. Then it was like, oh, it really started to gain traction. So the template was what we wanted to do is never do the same show really twice. Is just keep mixing it up. So we hit the we hit on the format of having basically a house band and cycling through various singers, different singers. People really liked that. Um, that was one of the attractions. And then we started doing specialty nights, like we'd do a Beatles night. People really liked that. And then we would do selected musicals without all the lines. So we did Jesus Christ yes, Superstar. That was fantastic. It was, it was so much fun. And we did four shows with that. So that's at like, at that time, that was like probably, we were doing maybe 90 or 95 seats. So four shows was pretty good. And we had Father Paul come down and do one of the parts, right? And that just, we could see how many people that would attract, you know, like people were interested. If you have somebody in the community who's going to perform to something. Like King Herod and Jesus Christ Superstar. Well, that was attractive yep. to a lot of people. So we kind of hit on a formula of uh, doing uh, theme nights, doing musicals, or, um, you know, uh, just having like uh, what we called the Wooden Wire series where we would uh, just have five or six singers come through and they would do their thing. So this is... Is this is quite a demanding thing because you guys are, are constantly learning new material? Yes, this is a lot. This the, 
it, it's it sounds all great, but just sort of the the behind the scenes kind of like let's do a Broadway night going into a Beatles night, yes, going into doing the Rocky Horror Picture yes. Show and doing it all in about a six week turnaround. Yes, what we, what we got going right now is we got Pink Floyd coming up, and then right after Pink Floyd is uh, that's at the end of that's three shows at the end of May. Then um, the um, Imriana Jones is doing a show early in June, and then uh, a couple of weeks later, we're doing a broad a Broadway night there. So you're getting a, you're getting a theme night, you're getting a, kind of a a musical Broadway theme, and you're getting a, a, a particular act. But <clears throat> it all uh, the greater the variety, it seems, the greater the support. But what we got people to do early was is the musicians played for free. For probably, I, I can't even say. I mean, I, and all the performances I've done there, I think I've taken money out in a payday where you pay the band maybe three times, three or four times. The rest of the time, it was great because money was off the table. So then when money's off the table, money's no issue, right? But I like to tell a story to the people when they start talking about money because there was a few who, who, who were involved. Um, out of let's say 30 or 35 people, there may have been one or two who wanted to get paid for their services, right? But I like to tell the story is like when you bring the money out, put the money on the table for musicians, that's when the machete comes out. Now, this goes back to a story from performing in Jamaica where we perform at this club. And is this the Drifter Club? Uh, no, no, oh, that's, okay. that's Drifters. Oh, this place is called the Sea Star. But uh, what happens is they have a great house band there, and they have two or three singers that come and sing. But they have put a tip box in the front of the stage. So what happens is people, if they like the band, they go up and throw money in the tip box. So at the end of the night, the band takes the tip box along with their regular pay, and they're going to divvy up the tips, right? So the band leader divvy up the tips, but one of the ma male singers, he doesn't like the, the share, how they, how they appropriate the shares of money to each guy. So he just goes out into the parking lot and comes back with a machete to, to oh like, settle the issue, right? So that's what I like to say is that when there's money, that's when the machete comes out. So God bless everybody and uh, who, who's, who's helped build Johnny's because, uh, Social Club, because cause of what they've done was for the purest of reasons, and that was because we enjoyed playing. Right. Yeah. So talk about some of the local talent, because like, you talked about how you were mentored by people. Do you see yourself now as you are? I really, the, I really, you are your uncle Brent here a little bit. Well, we're we're a lot older. Like Mark, myself, and Susan, um, and Timmy Spencer are older than a lot of the performers there. So yeah, we are, and you kind of view it as mentoring. And um, the, the great thing about Johnny's is that. You have a situation where you rehearse there, and you can rehearse on a PA system with the monitors and the lights. So that means for someone who wants to sing, they're going to be able to go up and hear what it's going to sound like when they're performing. Many, many times people will rehearse not on a sound system, but around a kitchen table or in their basement, right? But with the advantage of going to a place like Johnny and rehearsing the way it's going to be with the equipment you're going to use for the actual performance is golden because now you can teach people how to use a mic, how to, how to set up the lights, how to set up yeah, the lights, exactly. how to perform, what so, kind of work it takes to yeah. put together a tune. What is good enough? You know, is good enough, good enough? Well, sometimes 
no, it's like no, no, that's that's not that's not ready. So you get to share um, just how you just how you go through it. How do you play with a singer? And it's it's an ongoing thing. We we haven't arrived, right? But when you have when you're playing with singers, some singers go up and they they're very soft in the mic. They really don't sing loud, right? That's just the way they are. So the band in a situation like that has to learn to get behind the singer and and allow the singer to sing. So be behind the singer. Make sure you hear the singer, right? But you can only do that if you perform on that gear to see how it works, you know. So it's playing appropriately for the singer. The same thing goes for like uh, if you have singers, how to proper mic technique, right? Um, and what we encourage people to do, uh, and we're still working on this, for instance, is don't hold the cell phone up with the you know with the words there while you're trying to sing because you're just you're paying attention to your cell phone, right? I'm even if you have a music stand with the words there, it's you try to get away from that because that is something actually between you and the audience. You can't you can't focus fully on the audience if you're reading the lyrics to to the song off a thing, off a, off a music stand or a page, right? So it's, it's just like performance tips like that. You want to perform two people. Don't have, don't have these distractions, you know. Learn the words, because that's what most people do. And if you ever saw American Idol, if, if you came up with the words, Simon Cowell, he, it this won't go well. This is a karaoke competition. <laughs> well, exactly, right? I mean, you connect. That's so much a part of what a singer yes, does, the performance. is connect yeah. with your audience on some sort of emotional level, whether you're playing I Will Survive or Into the Mystic or whatever it is, right? You have to connect with your audience. That's what makes it really work and where it's fun, is if there's some connection that you have with the audience. So... There we go. So you did a, a, what, a two or three productions with our theater company, the oh, yeah. Snow and Bloodlust Collective. Yeah. Uh, we've done uh, Waiting for Trudeau. We did, uh, what was the other one? The Jimmy Good Ginger Ale. The, the Good Ginger Ale, yes. The Good Ginger Ale. Good Ginger Ale was the first one. one. It's a wonderful yes. life. How was uh, that yeah, sort really. of uh, process of you... Uh, <laughs> Yeah, uh, it's it's performing, but it's not necessarily musical. Is it good to have? I guess you're comfortable on stage, so it's not a terrible jump to make. I think you're absolutely right, and and I think that sort of helped with the bomber show. To go back to that, is that I think if you can embrace performing, because I I, I do like to consider myself a bit of a performer, right? So once you once you're attracted. <laughs> To that part of it, then I think you can kind of skip between whether it's kind of the radio show that we would do or uh, that kind of uh, live uh, theater like that um, or performing in a band, right? The biggest thing I noticed between um, uh, performing like on the radio play and playing uh, music for people is everything that's between you and an audience sets up a little barrier between you and the audience so if you're playing guitar you know, well i got my guitar between me and the audience and then if you have a microphone while well, i have the microphone and my guitar and the mic stand between the audience but when you take away the guitar and you just have the mic there it it's it it, it removes that barrier so you just you kind of got to put yourself out even a little bit more but it, it's such an odd thing the way the, the way we do it because it's 
Sometimes we do radio plays on the radio. Sometimes we do them in the spirit of radio. And it's it's almost, the audience has this voyeuristic thing that they shouldn't be seeing. We're not really performing for them. We're just using our voices, but we are sort of are performing we for are. them. So it's a lot of, it works on many levels. It's well, very dimensional. What it, we it really is. It is. Well, absolutely. And, and if you do something that's funny and you get feedback, well, that just encourages you, right? I just You just want to, okay, well, maybe I'll put myself a little bit more and I'll get more laughs. But I, I, I really enjoy that. Like, if you're a performer, you're just a performer. Okay, so we're, uh, our buttocks are getting numb here. So, uh, <laughs> um, is, do you feel like you've left a, a sort of flim flon musical legacy? Because I know when I was, I was talking with uh, Soul Man Johnny B. John Betker, and when he was growing up, it was like, they were everywhere. They they played the Hooter. They were everywhere. And then they called me. And I was like, I'm going to play with Brett. Oh <laughs> wow, that was a great day. I went over to see him over at, uh, he was working at the Reminder. And I, I'd seen Johnny around for sure. Um, and I was, he's very attractive. Um, yes, he is. Deadly his Flynn Fontaine, yes. former winner of Flynn Fontaine's Miss Men. That's right. He, he is very charismatic. And you could see that he just he had all the tools to to really be um, a force de jour, you know. So I I'd seen him play around a few times, and I I really liked really liked his stuff. But I was thinking about this at different times. Like Susan and I have been active in Flim Flon musically since really with a, a hiatus of, of, of ten years. But from let's say 1971. To present day, which is I can't calculate how long that is, like fifty years or yeah. something. Yeah. Close. So in the history of Flimflon, we have we have been performing here in Flimflon for at least half the life of Flimflon. So, you know, um, <clears throat> I I would think that um, people basically would know who we are, and and we've done, you know, some nifty things in our careers, and and it, it really both of us feel it's it's a kind of a thing that we want to share. Because we want this to go on, obviously, and with some of the wonderful local musicians here and the, and the younger folks, it's it's been really going well. But we have been very, very blessed to have uh, guys like uh, Craig Thomas come to town. Uh, Bancroft. I don't know why he calls himself Thomas. This professional name. Yeah, professional. <laughs> we call him Golden Stacey. Boy. Stacey. The Golden and, Boy, the All Canadian Boy. Yeah. And then, uh, and then of course uh, Trevor. Um, Trevor Sidnick, who's who's done. I, I went to U of M film with him, and he he, he emailed me. He was teaching in Saudi Arabia, yeah. and he went, "Should I come and teach in Flin Flon?" I went, "I think that you will find your kind here." Yeah, yeah, and he brings so much enthusiasm. So I'm talking about people who came from out of town and are, are part of the group. You know, they've really uh, instilled a lot. Um, and then there's the girls from. Uh, uh, Emriana Jones, Kim Jones, Hannah, and Kristen. Kristen is uh, is local, but those some of these teachers that come in, uh, Noel, Drimmy, um, just some of these people have, have been such a blessing to our community, sharing their talents and and really running, running with the ball. Like uh, Noel, she did uh, the Rocky Horror Picture Show, which I, I just you know you just have so much fun at those things that it's it's kind of crazy, but it. It's it's a lot of hard work, but it's so much fun. All right, and before we wrap up, we have like the actor's studio questions here. Mm. Like, name your what, what is your favorite group? Um, three musicians, dead or alive, that you would like to jam with. Oh, isn't that great? Yes. 
Well, how long do you get to think about it? Uh, first, first one's the top of your head. Right off the top of yeah. my head? Well, I can't. Well, oh, I can't. No, I can't. Everyone who's, who died at age 27. Oh, the 27. Let me say, I'll, I'll give you a couple. Lowell George. Like, who knows Lowell That's George? A deep cut. Well, he is, like, played in a band called Little Feet. But, you know, now you're asking me the kind of music that I personally really Well, that, like, that, that's right? reflective in the question. Yeah. Lowell George was a wonderful guitar player, uh, uh, singer, songwriter, uh, passed away much too young. So he would be, he'd be one of the, definitely one of the people. Uh, you know, a, a Beatle would be wonderful, like George Harrison, if you got to jam yes. with a guy like George Harrison. And uh, I can't think of a third, so I guess it doesn't matter. Uh, what was the last time you ever oh, got... Stevie Ray Vaughan, thank you Oh, there much. we go. Yeah. Let's get the yeah. Yeah. What was the last time you got lost to a gig? Lost to a gig? Yes. Oh, well. Every musician's got one. <laughs> well, yeah. <laughs> I was probably drunk. <laughs> uh, that leads to the next question. <laughs> when was the last time you played Intoxicated? Uh, what level? Well, we're not talking about tip. Um, did like you ever, where I couldn't play did, it? Yes. <laughs> Never. 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 Did where you I couldn't close? Did you ever have to like couldn't find the stage? There were times when I definitely sucked, <laughs> but I could I could get it done. Okay, and uh, we'll do uh, what what one show comes to mind where you just killed it, where it was like, wow, if I could only do remember what I did then, well, I'd do that every time. Homecoming two thousand. And the Hanson sister played, and they forgot the fire marshal rules at the, at the rink, and there was probably thirty five hundred people in there, and we were fortunate enough to play last. We were probably as good as we ever were at that time, and Jennifer played with us, and it was it was just great. And when we started to play, it was it was pretty electric, and it, it felt very nice. And I, I said after the gig, man, if you could put that in a bottle, you know, and drink that no one ever drink booze again because it was invigorating susan's had some wonderful wonderful gigs um uh playing at the red river x before ten thousand people um at the uh, football stadium um she, she she massey hall she played at um which was a wonderful gig that she would talk about but some big arenas she's played at but uh I, I would think she would say, and I, I know she would say this, so she did this gig at Massey Hall where it was just, just everything falls into place. The, the problem with live performing is you're always at the, at the mercy of technical business, right? Like a 25 cent plug can wreck everything, right? So you're, you're only as good as the weakest link in your chain. But it was a night when everything comes together, you can hear yourself, the band's right, the audience is right. Oh boy, which is something you never get in, in in Jamaica because it's a third world country and and things never work there the way they're supposed to. But over here, yeah, two thousand homecoming was definitely one of the big ones. And then the Royal Bank Cup in two thousand and one, uh, we had some great gigs over at the uh, at the uh, the curling rink right next to the they called it the bomb shelter right next to the Whitney Forum. And again, that was there was people from all over Canada there, so that was really nice because um, it, it, it's a great compliment when people say to you, uh, "Well, so where are you guys from?" And you say, "Well, we're from Flin Flon, right?" No, 
yeah, really. Why can't we be from Flin Flon? You know, can't can't good acts come from Flin Flon? You know, you know. It's, I mean, it's all good. It's a compliment, right? But um, we got a bit of that. Well, where are you from? Well, from from here. That's what we do. They play music up here. You know, people are talented here. It's okay. It's okay to be good and from Flin Flon. I was going to ask you a gig from hell, but you had such an eloquent and such a glorious ending to that. I think that is the perfect button to push. Oh my goodness, Brent. We have the whole entire history of the uh, Flin Flon art scene compiled in this. Hopefully this all recorded properly. We may have to do some pickups and some ADR. No problem. But uh, this was a, a tremendous start to uh, the podcast lo- loosely titled Sewer Box Office. <laughs> well, I hope it's everything you want it to be. Um, it's obviously from my perspective. Um, so, uh, obviously, people during this, the same time frames or in the same group are going to have a slightly different perspective. But well, we'll talk to them. Oh, yes. We'll, yeah, we'll get the truth. We'll find the truth. Yeah. Yeah, Brent, Brent was lying. But, oh, <laughs> that never happened. That way. And Susan will say, no, it was you who was fired from the band, not me. So. <laughs> All right. Brent Lethbridge, uh, guest here, Sewer Box Office. Thanks for having me. Subscribe and download. Well, I hope other people show up to do this, too. For Susan Gunn. Yeah. I'm Raphael Raphael Sarai. Saying good night and good podcasting. Well, whatever you got to do.